Attention, please. Places for top of show. Places for top of show. Hello, and welcome to Twins Talk Theater. We are Cindy and Stacy, and we're talking about theater, backstage life, and all the excitement that the audience doesn't get to see. Enjoy the show. This is episode 100. This week on the podcast, we have Cindy and Stacy. Uh, Cindy comes from, well, they were both born in California, but Cindy is now a New York-based stage manager, mostly in opera and some of the newer work stuff, her favorites. Stacy was trained as a TD, but now works at a production company doing, uh, like, movie premieres and um, red carpets. So welcome to the podcast, Cindy and Stacy. You're the second set of twins we've had. (laughs) Yeah, that was a pretty awesome opening. I mean, we might be the first set of twins we've had, because then that would make uh, the other ones the second set. Yeah, we might be the first set, but we could be the first and like third set, maybe. There are two of us. Not sure how that works. Can we retroactively be the first set of twins? (laughs) Well, technically, we did do our own first podcast, so we were the first set of twins we had on our podcast. So we're a little late for our introductions, but there you go. But there you go, in case you were wondering who we were and uh, where we currently reside. I'm still in L.A. Uh, Yeah, episode 100. Twin never thought we'd get here when a couple years ago I said, Twin, let's do a podcast. I mean, I have to say I was pretty impressed when we got to number 30. So 100 is kind of amazing. (laughs) Exactly. And that was, uh, let's see, the first podcast came out in September 8th, 2017. And that was a couple months after I had to convince Twin to do one. And then we had to figure out what we were doing, and then we actually had to record one, and then Kai had to edit. So I don't really know when this all started, but uh, here we are, 100 episodes later, halfway <laughs> through 2020 in the middle of a coronavirus. But we made it! <laughs> I have to say, like, we talk about this a lot, probably a few times on the, the podcast, but the good thing about the virus right now is that it's making all of us think outside the box to like figure out what we can do differently and at least for the podcast we kind of took like six months off earlier uh, because we were just so busy and overwhelmed with work and we couldn't get our schedules to coordinate because you know time zones and work schedules but so it's allowed us to renew our efforts and to get more people on which has been great because everyone's schedule is pretty much free so we (laughs) I think it's been it's been advantageous but I do have to say you want to talk about theater yes please (laughs) because we all miss it that's what's so hard about it right now is I think we're probably the only people in the world theater people who uh want to get back to work and and miss doing what we love and yeah you know we're all dying right now we all need to do art we do and and Stacey and I were talking about what 100, what this episode should be like. And then we were talking about all the similarities and like these threads that keep coming up over and over and over in all of the podcasts that we've done. And the first one, which I guess is the the main one, one of the most important ones to us is that we all do this. We've all made a career out of the arts, especially backstage arts, because it's, it's something that we love. It's something that we just kind of like have this need that we have to do. Um, none of us do it for the money. Uh, if you had to ask us about the hours, that's definitely not an option as well. It's just love. <laughs> and uh, Nate, who we had on it back in February of 2019, yeah, said... It was like February of what? <laughs> February 2019. 
But he said, I fell in love with theater through the practice of it. And I now prefer it over any other medium. And that just spoke so true to me because I can't say Stacey and I liked it when we first started. And I know we've said multiple times that like we hated it and we're promised we were never going to do it again. And then we just kept doing it. And now it's our life. I kind of found that playwriting was the elements of movies I like the most, like character and dialogue, um, kind of and theme pull plays together. And I kind of fell in love with theater by practice, I guess. And now I prefer it to any other medium, I think. So it's, it's interesting that that seems to, it wasn't only us that that happened to. It was multiple people. Uh, Also, um, Kara said it great, and especially right now in the virus when none of us can really be truly working. I mean, we're doing art, but like not theater. Uh, I have to make something that moves people in a way. And maybe it's confusing them or making them think about something or making them cry. But I have to have some sort of reaction to pull people in. Otherwise, what's the point? And yeah, right now people are making art, but like we can't really connect to others. So... Yeah, that's that's why we do it because we're crazy. <laughs> <laughs> it is kind of because we're crazy. I have to make something that moves people in, in a way, and it, and maybe it's confusing them or making them think about something or making them cry. But it, like, it has to have some sort of reach out to pull people in. Otherwise, it's like, what's the point? It's, I don't know. It becomes a way of life in a sense and Stacey and I were talking before this I mean we just talked for two hours before this we actually started recording this podcast and what came to my mind is there's so much similarities between what theater people well between the experiences theater people have and what they go through and this like overwhelming love for creating magic and creating experience that it kind of makes everyone a family and we all talk about that how we're all one big family and that I think is easy for me when I travel because I know if I'm going to Philadelphia or Omaha or Long Beach or San Diego you know that no matter where I go I'm going to find this family and I'm going to find these people that probably have a lot of similar emotions and experiences that I have in a sense even if we don't have the same background I'm pretty sure I'm going to find somebody or a whole group of people that like love what they do and are Mm -hmm. grateful for what they do uh a great quote from Cara uh January 12th of of 2018 well we'll just let Cara say it herself what are you doing what do you want we have to find that and then pursue it with all of that you have, because um, that's exciting. So I just think it's perfect. You got to find what you want to do, and you do it because it's exciting. Nobody, nobody is forcing us to do anything. And as I mentioned earlier, it's the um, it's that experience that we all. I think that we're all craving, both on stage and off stage. I don't know anyone else necessarily who can say they have family all over the United States and the world because we're so connected. And it's bringing people together that I think all 
theater artists on stage and off stage just kind of have this craving for. We all want to tell stories and we all want to connect and we all want to create this like magical moment that has never happened before and will never happen again because each performance, even if you run a show, you know, 1000 times, each one is a little bit different and each audience is a little bit different and each person will take that a little bit differently. I think uh, when we were talking to Andrew um, Osley in May of 2020, that was a thing that we talked about a lot because one of his main things was bringing people together and and really getting that connection and experience. Um, and he talks about, you know, without checking your phone and actually many things, you know, being a part of the moment. Sharing the experience. And, and I think that that in-person, that shared experience of something is, is just core to the human, to the human emotional need, the, the makeup of humanity. Andrew talked a lot about experience. There's a, another quote that was later on in his, in the podcast with him that really rang true when you sit and without checking your phone for an hour, just just sharing an experience with people, a beautiful experience, that you know, there is nothing like that. And I think part of the success that we've had as a series is in, in how the experiences remind people that that is what is important. Like it's not important how many likes your post got. You know, mm-hmm. That shared experience with, with people you know, people you don't know. Um, but, you know, that when we feel together, it is always more than the sum of its parts. Again, the way he the way he talks is just bringing these people together and feeling like you have this family. And that's what's important. And that's what makes us all function, makes, you know, makes the experience totally, totally worth it for all of us. Because otherwise, the like Cindy was saying, the long hours can be uh, a bit stressful and crazy. Uh, and it's not just in theater. Uh, we talk about theater, and a lot of people probably think like straight plays or musicals, but we're talking about all of performing arts. Um, the orchestras, the community playhouse, the major operas, the uh, experimental ones going out. I think it was John O'Neill, you know, having a trailer that they pulled behind them and set up. And so it's all these different kinds of people all falling in love and doing, doing theater, doing performing arts. Making art. (laughs) I mean, even the job I'm at now uh, is not technically theater, but I'm still building a set and we're putting on kind of a production and there's lights and there's sound and, Actors are dressed all pretty, walking around doing interviews, but still the the excitement of us like building it and coming up with the ideas and all that is still there in the long hours and the collaboration working together. It's like <laughs> you said the uh, the the actors are all just there walking around looking pretty, but they they're <laughs> doing interviews. I mean, they're reciting <laughs> lines, but they're reciting lines not for a script. They're like you know giving the same interview to everybody but yeah <laughs> that's what they do 
that's that's very true. But yeah, it's very interesting way of looking at it. When they asked, if, you know, why'd you leave theater? I'm like, I'm still building a set for actors to walk in front of. Seems the same to me. <laughs> and yeah, that's still it. <laughs> the hours, though, I feel like that's something that came up so often, but never in a bad way, I feel. You know, like, we complain about the hours when we're, like, doing the hours. But I think all of us, when we look back, like, it's never like, oh, my God, I had to do this many hours. Like, you you say it a little bit, but it was never in a, um, I can't say never, but hardly ever in a negative light. Because, it, again, because we love it so much that it's it's something that we do. And there was one with Cricket uh, who was on the podcast uh, back in April 2018 when we were both in Omaha working on the rec together. And we were joking, which I feel like happens it's so many different times, but we are talking about, it was such a strange experience to create this whole new work in 10 days. And there were literally in a found space. Yeah. There were literally days where it was like, everything went together well and everything just seemed to like mesh and work and ideas were coming from all over the place. And everybody just kind of like this, this magic was happening. It was just this like bubbling effect in the room. And we would all go home after the super long day and just be like, oh my gosh, we just created something that was wonderful. We can't wait to show it to the audience. And then the very next day, you know, you go in and five minutes later and you're like, nothing's working. The sound cues aren't working. It doesn't make sense anymore. And it's just this like roller coaster that we go through on a regular basis. And yet here, our first day of rehearsal was also kind of our first day of tech. So <laughs> it was definitely a unique and interesting experience and and moments of like real excitement and moments of like, I am so lost. I have no idea what's going on. I'm just throwing <laughs> things at this and hoping something sticks. I, I feel like today was so successful. We have so many cool things and this moment really worked. And then the next day I'd be like, where did it all go? I don't know if anybody else besides artists like give themselves this emotional roller coaster time and time again but it's something that happens and like I think everyone's experienced it even you know final room run you know like you could have this like awesome final room run and then in the last five minutes everything like crashes and burns and you're like I have no idea how we're gonna make it to tech or you know final dress and you're just like uh it's all over the Um, opposite you're at a final room run and you're like half these people don't know their lines they just keep walking through the walls there's no way we're (laughs) gonna put this show on to an audience in a week or two and then somehow magically it, it does it happens uh not ever really sure exactly how that comes about but it it always seems to and it's so true it always seems to uh which is there's this quote that sean gray had we spoke with him in 2019 yeah i think he was he was general director artistic director i don't remember what's his title right now producing artistic director at the long beach playhouse Right. But he went from props to assistant technical director to technical director, right? To artistic, whatever. But he also directs, (laughs) right? I don't know. Sean has like every title at that place right now. But um, he also directs shows and he was in shows for a while. I don't think he's been in a show for, right, a number of years. But anyways, uh, there's this quote that we want to play or that I want to play for you because I just think it's so funny about... um, not, I mean, I'm sure it wasn't funny at the time, but I'm, I'm pretty sure we've all been there. So this is what Sean said about a particularly hard tech. 
I remember just feeling overwhelmed sometimes. There was one show that I just like curled up under my desk when I got home one night and just started crying because I felt so overwhelmed. Um, I was there by my side. I had no other. I was like, it was like our first dress rehearsal. Our sound designer decided not to show up. I was dealing with a very difficult director um, who was very nervous that the sound designer didn't show up. And I was just, I, I was like, I was just overwhelmed. One of the other topics that comes through a lot and uh, should be fairly obvious, like I don't even know why we necessarily need to bring this up, but uh, it's a group effort. (laughs) Theater is absolutely a group effort. There's no way to put on a show with just one person. Uh, Even a one-man show probably has at least 15 people involved in it, if not more. Uh, It just the way that it is. So we, we have to be connected to people. We have to work with people. Uh, sometimes it's good it's only for one show and you get to leave them sometimes it's bad because you love them so much and you don't want to leave them but it's definitely not a single person even a star can't do a show by themselves it's everybody works together uh you know in school when you had to do those group projects and there was always one or two people that didn't work out those are probably not the people who went in the theater because <laughs> they are definitely not pulling their own weight <laughs> What it, oh my God, not that I want to bring up the coronavirus all the time, but what's the meme going around right now that the coronavirus is like those group projects where some of us are pulling our weight and staying home and like wearing masks and then those those others that aren't yeah. that aren't doing it and they're making us all fail because they're not paying attention to what's going on. <laughs> I feel that's kind of what, you know, in a sense, what you said about group projects, but also kind of what theater is, you know, if if only half of us do our job really well and the other half don't, it kind of affects the entire show. Granted, those of us who are try to like pull together to make up for those who aren't. And then, you know, hopefully we never have to work with those people again, but it's definitely something that's, that's the whole process. And well, Sean, I know we just talked about Sean, but he's very right in saying that, well, we are all artists we're all artists here. It's not just the people on stage. They are very important. Um, but the people backstage are just as much artists. Yes. And they should be as respected as the people who are on stage. And so I try to remind actors of that when I do at the first read-through when I do my orientation. Um, but, you know, here's the thing. We can't all do the show unless we're all working together. Like, that's why right. it's a collaborative art. It all requires all of us. I don't usually consider myself an artist necessarily because I consider myself more technical, but it is still an art, even if you're backstage. Yeah, but you and I just had this discussion like weeks ago because we were looking at our our description of the podcast. You know, now that we're at 100, we've been thinking about it a lot. And our original description, well, as we were looking at it now, we we're like, yeah, that's not really what our podcast has turned into. Like yeah. it's it's different. and. And I guess that's what happens when things evolve. So we've actually rewritten our description for a number of things. And the discussion, another discussion we had was about artists, because I said, you know, what we should call it is interviews with backstage artists, because I'm a firm believer, but because that's exactly what we all are. Even the way you build something, I believe, is an art. And there's, you know, people that are good at it, and there's people that aren't good at it. And I think some of that's 
innate in a sense, just like art is, but some of it has to do with practice because there's some people that like, no matter how much you try to teach them, they're not going to know how to like weld, you know, like I, I really think it's an art and it comes up so much as a stage manager because we for years have been, and even maybe still so like considered part of the technical staff or management and not necessarily artists but a stage manager is totally an artist because you need to be an artist to call those cues. You need to be an artist to be able to manage people, you know, like even if you have the best lighting designer in the world, like if you call those cues wrong, it's going to look bad. So you definitely have to be an artist uh, and you have to be able to work well with people. And I think that's what Sean was saying in his podcast is that like, it's not just the people that are on stage that are artists, it's backstage as well. And I, he actually said that, and they need to be respected as well. The on stage needs to respect backstage and backstage needs to respect on stage because the show wouldn't happen unless everybody was working together. And I think, well, I don't want to speak for everybody, but I know like when we were in high school, especially in the, a little bit in college, that there was kind of this like, us against them kind of feeling and you you see it you know in in different spoofs and stuff but i uh, i think it's something that we should move away from because it's not us against them you know and i have just as much respect for you know the guy who's second props on a show as i do for you know the, the person singing the lead because they both put in just as much effort and they love what they do just as much yeah i could know no better sing a lead to an opera than I could mix a mix a sound for a musical. Both of those are way past what I can do. Both of those still take years of practice and talent and being able to hear things and yeah, it's definitely definitely an artistic skill to have e either side. Plus, have you seen some people's costume changes? Ridiculous how they can get a costume to come on and off so fast with so many people. <laughs> You're like, and that in itself is an art form. It is. It's amazing. I've only had to do it once with uh, Addie Malo, who was, uh, I don't know, one of the first podcasts we did, one of the earlier ones. And it was just impressive. Like, yeah, the way that the costume had to be rigged and who touched what and where they stood and, and everything is choreographed. It's definitely an art form. And that's just changing clothes. Like, it sounds simple, but so not simple. Something I'm wondering, Stacey pulled up all these stats, but the few, the few podcasts that are sticking out in my head right now are that, that kind of talk about this relationship in a sense came from two people who started out as performers and then moved into more of a tech producing kind of area where they are forced to all of a sudden look at all these different areas that they haven't necessarily had to look at. As a performer, you're aware that things are going on backstage, but you're not as aware of them or know how much effort those things are putting in. Uh, besides Sean, uh, John Rizzoni, who I worked with at Tri-Cities Opera, started out as a singer, has a degree. Um, he wanted to do musical theater, but then he moved into opera. And he was talking about a summer that he worked, I want to say in Wisconsin or something, you know, where it was one of those small theaters and he had to do... Uh, sell concessions and help in the paint shop and sew costumes and you know it was 
he said it was one of the hardest summers he's ever had, but it gave him a whole new respect for what other people do and just an understanding of how much goes into an actual production. And there's this this great quote, which which I think we're going to play the whole thing through because it's him kind of discussing how it was a, a learning experience for him and how it has helped him become a better general director, executive director, you know, now in his life because he actually did all those things. That kind of experience sticks with you. And I think what it did was make me so grateful for all the functioning pieces when you have a good, solid professional and I think what we had at TCO, it, it, it helped me to recognize like your talents and your abilities to do your job really well and the talents of our box office manager to do her job really well and our grant writer and, you know, our scene shop and our costume shop and all those different things that when you don't have those cogs and they're not working, it's really, really hard to do your job. And so I think that that respect and gratitude that grew out of those experiences of, of valuing all different kinds of um experience, not just the ones that were like mine, uh, really have helped me to, um, I don't know, build, build collaborative relationships throughout, um, throughout any company I work at. So just the same and make sure we're working towards the same goal. Collaborative relationships. It's, it's so important. I just, I mean, number one, I love working with John, but he and I, what was this, like five years ago when we first started working together, we just, we meshed really well. And what we both had in common was that we were both collaborative. And even though he was on the marketing side at that time and I was in production, it was so great just to bounce ideas back and forth. And we'd be up until like uh, one o'clock in the morning sitting at the office talking, <laughs> you know, him talking through production stuff with me and me helping him with like marketing stuff. So that was another thing that came up in, in multiple conversations, I think. I feel like half of these podcasts are all kind of the same because we're all so similar to each other. And, and yet we all have like such individual different experiences. But speaking about how you work with somebody and how you need to be able to mesh well, and it's not just inside a theater, you know, it's not just like on a show. It's it's not like, oh, I can work with Danielle really well in a show. It's also the fact that like Danielle and I can hang out outside of the theater and, and we just have this connection, uh, which is what uh, Ginevra, who was also I met in, in Omaha and then what well, we did both shows in Omaha. So I think we had her on the podcast in 2008, around the same time that we had. 2018. 2008. Damn, we took a long time to get to episode That took, one. yeah. <laughs> 2000, 2000. I'm just trying to ignore Omaha. That was, that was a long time ago. Uh, 2018, same year as Cricket. Um, but she was, she was the assistant, assistant lighting designer. But as uh, if you listen to the podcast, she did a lot more than assistant lighting design. But we were asking her, you know, how do you find lighting designers that you work with? And, and, or, you know, how do you find that connection? And she was saying sometimes that connection has to be just as important outside of the theater as inside of the theater. You know, you want somebody, you want to bring in an assistant or somebody who you can like 
want to get coffee with during dinner break or you want to go get drinks with afterwards because then it just makes that experience so much easier because, you know, we all want to go drink after some tech rehearsals. And if you're surrounded by people, <laughs> and you don't need coffee during we... tech rehearsals. <laughs> like every single day. And if you don't have that connection, like it just makes the shows so much harder. I don't know, Stacey, have you ever had that experience? I feel like I've had one big experience like that and a couple smaller ones in New York, which are hard, but I feel like being on the road, it's even harder. To to, make um, those connections or not make those connections? No, to not have it. There was one, I won't say where, but there was one place that I worked where I felt like I didn't, for whatever reason, didn't really like make those connections. And it was interesting to like, not have somebody to go get drinks with afterwards. I think there was like two people that I did, you know, but it was, um, I have to say, it's definitely easier when you, when you have that. I don't know, because you work a lot more on the road and like one-offs and I work a lot more in houses. So a lot of the people I work with, it's a longer running multiple show thing, but then also the connections are different because like when I was at the Norris for over nine years, I always had my crew and I had my crew the whole time, nine and a half years with the same people, but we really didn't hang out much outside of work, but that's because it was a normal Monday through Friday, nine to five kind of setting. And then we did shows and stuff on the weekend, but, but I feel like it was more of a business relationship and not as like intense as maybe just doing shows. That's true. Maybe that was what my experience or the the way the way I consider it, the way I felt, the feelings that I had while I was there. What what is I'm trying to say? Um, yeah, because it's not like I didn't love them just as much. Like if Rob would call right now and I haven't seen him for a couple years and ask for help on something, I'd be right there. And, you know, we went to Chris Meyer's house a number of times for birthday parties or I drive him home after work or, you know, I talk to Steve about a new apartment he's renting or the dog digging under the fence and getting out. Like we still had those connections, but we just didn't really hang out after work because we went back to our own house with our own family with, you know, that. Whereas when you're traveling, I feel like you get a little more of uh, that is your family. I think that's what the big difference is because this, this company that I was at. And it was a really great company and I totally go back, but I was one of the only people that were freelance. Everybody else kind of lived there. So they did have this like life outside. And I don't know if I was just kind of jealous of it because, you know, I was there traveling for work and all of a sudden, you know, rehearsals out and they had, you know, to go home and garden or go home and cook dinner or have a family event. And I was, you know, just kind of by myself. So maybe it was, Whereas with Ginevra, the two times we were in Omaha together, you know, all of us were freelance transplant people um, and living in the same hotel, you know, so it was much easier to like hang out together afterwards. So I think having somebody that you couldn't do that with would be difficult. Not that you get to choose. In her her um, area as an assistant lighting designer, I think she maybe gets to choose a little bit more like what designers she wants to connect with and what designers want to connect with her. Whereas as a stage manager so far, I haven't really been able to like choose my ASMs. True. But I mean, there's also that difference of because I was at the Long Beach Playhouse for so long and still around there, uh, Sean's become my best friend. Because That's true. years and years of working with him and then doing shows on the side with him and hanging out with him. And 
uh, everyone we play D&D with, which I'm going to find those stats, how many people we've talked to D&D <laughs> with, because I know you bring it up a lot. <laughs> uh, yeah, I talk yeah, about it all the time. Everybody we play D&D with are people that uh, come from the playhouse. Larry's the TD, and Fee does everything around there, and Sean's the producing artistic director, and Becca works in the costume shop, and yeah, so it's a different thing because we've been playing D&D for three years now. Two years, three years, something like that. So I think it's just okay. We talked to Ginevra back in 2008, so... Yeah, <laughs> it's been a... Time doesn't really matter anymore. It's all relative. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so there are definitely different connections, uh, but definitely all connections. Like, And with Facebook and Instagram and all, we can still follow what people do. You do one show with them, and then three years from now, you might do another show with them, but... You're still following their career and what they're doing and, oh, I worked at that house or, oh, I worked with so-and-so on this show. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's all about the connections. And and even when you're doing just one show with people and then they disappear again, uh, you still got a connection to them. Because you did that show. You spent those long hours. You performed in front of an audience. You dealt with tech and the issues that were going on there. And it's it's very bonding. I feel right now so many things are relating back to what Geneva and us talked about. But she had another quote um, in her piece that talks just about that, that um, at the end of the day, well, no, it's, it's all about the connections you make and that you don't necessarily know if that connection you make is, is going to be somebody who helps you out later on. Anyways, here's a quote because Geneva said it much better than I can say it. He told me something that I thought was very telling. He was like, you know, your career at the end of the day will boil down to two connections you've made along the way that are super important and everything else will stem from there. But you'll always be able to scale it back to two people that you know, that you know really well. And that's that's going to be your career. So just cultivate your connections because that's where that's where all of your work for the rest of your life is going to come from. And, and you that's never so, really know who those two people are going to be. Right, exactly. That's the fun part right now. <laughs> when when Ginevra said this, I remember thinking like, okay, if I could boil it back down to two people, like what are those two people? Granted, maybe because I've, I feel like I'm in my mid-career now, like maybe that second person hasn't come up in my life yet, maybe. But I feel like, Maybe they have. Anyways, I feel like the pers- first person uh, was definitely Darlene. If I look at my career in the past 10-ish years, um, we still haven't gotten on the podcast, even though we keep asking. Maybe she could do it now during during the lockdown. But um, Darlene would have to be my first person because she's the one who gave me my first, like, was it my first, like, actual opera contract yeah because you were right out of grad, grad school. school and you well, had already done equus and and dear Arduina, but that was pretty much it i think yeah and then I, I said hey they're doing nixon and you did nixon as an internship and so you came to california to do nixon in china yeah so i met darlene and and worked at long beach for what did we decide it was? It was like eight seasons, six seasons. I did like 12 shows with them uh, through, I think, six seasons. 
And then because I then had my name in opera and then she took both Stacy and I to Santa Barbara and then I had so much opera experience that I started getting other opera experience because the opera world's so small and they all kind of connect to each other in a way. So she, I mean, she's the one that I totally have to credit with being my first, that first person that Ginevra is talking about where you can like scale it back to two people. Um, and I, like, I totally didn't know that she was going to be it when I interviewed or even the first show. Cause that first show was rather hard, you know, and it, it just kept going. I mean, and we put and, a freaking airplane on stage. <laughs> Half an airplane. Stupid elephant. Yeah, it was, I forgot about that elephant. But it was, <laughs> you know, it was, what what was what we were talking about earlier about uh, what was Sean's quote about hiding under a desk? I'm pretty sure that happened a few times on a number of Long Beach shows. Yeah. But um, but but that was one of it. And I'm trying to think if the second person might be might be David Levy at Philadelphia Opera. You've talked to him quite a bit lately and got some other shows and stuff. Yeah. He's the one that I feel like, I mean, part of me wants to say it was uh, TCO, but I can't really like put that on one person because there was multiple people there. Um, but then leaving TCO, David Levy was the first one to give me like what I consider like a big contract because, uh, you know, went from like level four to a level two company. And then through that, that has gotten me, you know, a lot of my other large contracts or the connections that I made there. So it, it, I could trace a lot back to David Levy and Maggie, who are the two David's one who hired me, but Maggie was my, is my boss. So it might be those two. I don't know. Stacey, do you have one or two people that you could trace stuff back to? Well, it's again, a little bit difficult, not difficult, yeah, different cause... for you because you were like at a theater for a long time. Whereas like Geneva and I, and, and a lot of these other people that we talk to as freelance artists, you know, always are looking for that, that next gig. Yeah. Cause uh, Jeff Kaysen met him in college and then we started a company and then we started another company. And then uh, I brought him on to do stuff at the Norris. And then he brought me on to do stuff like one-off shows. And then I got him brought into East West players. And so we're definitely connected and still connected. But if I think back, just the companies I've worked in, you and I both went to Long Beach. Well, you were at Long Beach Opera and needed help. So I went to Long Beach Opera. That show needed a lot of help. Yeah. And then went with Darlene to Santa Barbara. And then uh, Darlene was always talking about East West <laughs> players and so she was the one who recommended me to Andy Lowe, which is how I got on to Allegiance. Allegiance, yeah. And then because of Allegiance, I got hired on to that show, uh, that company. I went to East West Players for a while after the Norris. The goddamn Darlene. <laughs> so, so we could pretty much trace both back to Darlene, which I think means we need to get Darlene on the podcast. I'm trying to find when we had Jeff Kaysen on the podcast. He was pretty early on. He must be. Do you have this written down anyway? Yeah, he's episode four in October 2017. Wow. Yeah, no wonder I couldn't find it. Way, but Darlene, way, way back. Way, way back. Yeah. 
We still don't I guess, have Darlene. I know. <laughs> well, now that we talk about her so much, I think we're going to have to get Darlene on a podcast. <laughs> She's going to argue with us because she doesn't want to talk, but that's okay. But then again, I guess not necessarily my connections to theater, but the people in our education who kind of led it, like David Chinowith. From Red, oh, which Trump. we talked to Dana about because we were, you know, uh, I mean, basically started our, he was the start of our career and he instilled in us the, he never did the separation between crew and actors and crew was just important and uh, the long hours and the craziness kind of, we were just used to it. As we That's talked true. To Dana, not necessarily good or bad, just he ran it like an actual theater. And so That's we've true. always known it that way. Uh, and then in college, definitely Dan Cork, because he said, hey, you should be a TD. And I said, I don't, I don't know what that is. And he's the one who trained me in set design and lighting design and pushed me to become a TD. So without that, I probably wouldn't be where I was. I'd probably just be a deck person or a prop person or... What was the first person you said deck? I thought you said dead person. And I was like, dead. I mean, yeah. I don't think it's that drastic, but maybe. <laughs> yeah. That's how bad it was going. No, so like, <laughs> I didn't even think about being a TD. Like, it just, nobody really talked about TDs and there's not a program for it. You know, liberal arts school, you just got a theater degree. But he's the one who then was like, you have, you can do this. You should actually like learn to manage and not touch things. And it was really hard and I'm still working on it, like not touching things. Cause I'm like, me, I'll do it. <laughs> but like working with the people and managing and all that. So he's probably the reason I went into TD. And I know it's you, both your TD and set designer. Um, right. Randon Lowe was, uh, well, I feel like everybody at, at UOP, like yeah, if it weren't for, yeah. Person. <laughs> true if it weren't for you know Rand who came in and and was a designer but he's the one that like actually taught me he taught the stage management class and then between him and Jim Hafner who gave me all the hands-on experience that I needed uh because Rand was in the scenic designer and the lighting designer and Jim was a director and and I remember them both just you know throughout the day or randomly when I was trying to um put together my first calling score, which I had no idea what it was. You know, he's the one that showed me the the dots and the different colors. And, you know, he was like, well, this is what I've seen other stage managers do. And I think Rand's the one, or Jim might've been as well, showing me when we were doing slides, because we actually had slides for whatever reason, because we had an older school <laughs> set of projections, you know, but like how to create that paperwork. And so it was definitely them. But then I also had Kathy McClellan, who was the costume shop man no not shop manager she was a costume designer um there was another kathy who was our shop manager who was just as amazing but kathy mcclellan was my advisor in school and she gave me probably one of the best pieces of advice that i've had and i've passed it on to like every single person who would listen to me that said if you can make it five to seven years in this profession then you're set um because it takes that long to kind of figure out what you're doing, to get comfortable with what you're doing, but also to make that many connections. And I remember when she told me this, you know, standing in the hallway at my undergrad being like, oh my God, five to seven years is like eternity when you're still in college and just trying to figure out like how in the world you're going to last that long. 
<laughs> financially, definitely for sure. But that's what she's saying. Like, if you could do this financially, then you're going to be set after that. And I remember it was like year five and a half when, no, it was year five when I first started getting companies calling me or asking me for my resume, as opposed to me keep having to like cold call and cold send stuff out. Um, I don't remember which company it was, but it was like the first time that someone's like, oh, we heard about you. Are you available? Was year five. And year seven for me was when I was offered the full-time job at TCO. And they're right. Like, or Kathy was right. Since then, I've pretty much been set, you know, until coronavirus. But I haven't had to worry about (laughs) my theater career. Um, And up until then, it was was, uh, hit and miss. And there were a number of times that I didn't think I could do it. And thank God my manager at Gap believed in me, even though he was my manager at Gap and wouldn't let me become a manager at Gap. And he kept telling me I had to keep doing theater until I made it. So he, uh, I should probably thank him too. I don't think he'll ever be on a podcast, but Chuck, if you're ever listening to our <laughs> podcast, he was, he's definitely still an inspiration. Um, I was with him this morning, but, uh, cause but you know, that's also people something need we- to show <laughs> but that's also something we've talked about a couple times with people, and we've had a couple educational people on the podcast. Um, Jackie Pombo went back, uh, Pombo Winjet, because she's married, and uh, went back to her junior college and is now teaching stage management to the younger generation. Because if we don't teach people and we don't get people who are inspired, then we're going to lose people coming to the theater. Um, is it Henry Reynolds? Back in December 2017, he teaches mm-hmm. sound design, and it's mm-hmm. brought a lot of people uh, up through that. And just well, we he's at about- Michigan. He's at Michigan, Ann Arbor. Yeah. And so we've uh, we've talked about how training is important, and not just educational training, like I went to school and I sat in a classroom, but still learning and training <laughs> even on the job, because there's no way you could teach somebody how to be a TD just out of a book. Like, I could draw you a picture of a screw gun, but until you hold it in your hand and feel the force and how hard do I push and all that, like, you're not going to figure it out. Feel the force of the screw gun. Can you feel control it with your mind? Yes. Yeah. Basically. <laughs> It's impressive. <laughs> Basically, I control a screw gun with my mind. <laughs> but even just the constant still learning and still working with people to learn things. I mean, uh, John Cortese, who's another one who will probably never be on the podcast because he's not actually a theater person, um, does fine furniture <laughs> making. And every time he's like, oh, Stacy might not know this. He'll come into the office and be like, do you want to learn how to... Put Tell the difference five. between saw blades. <laughs> yeah, by listening to it, and I'm like, hell yeah, I do. And I run outside to the shop, and he explains it to me. And it's just, yeah, a constant learning experience, uh, which I think is very important, not just in school, but continuing to do it outside of school. I mean, this that's also one of the things, like, we wanted to start this podcast was to show people and not necessarily train, but just open their minds to an entire world of people who exist backstage and we're never <laughs> going to be on stage and we're not going to have our name on the marketing material or our faces on the marketing material or anything like that i mean stage managers are working towards that i have to say yeah and directors and producers do often get their name on it but uh still there's a lot the designers, of designers yeah there's no no i i agree with you there's there's tons of people who don't but um 
but it's it is so cool, cool that to just hear everyone's experiences and be like, oh man, yeah, I, di- I didn't know that. <laughs> How many times have we said that in podcasts? I didn't know that. Well, talking to um, who did we just talk to? Alisa, Alessio, Alessio. Yeah, man, operas in in Italy are so different than operas in America. Theater in Italy is so different than theater in America. Like, I had no idea. I just figured theater was theater and everyone did it and they were old theater. So they had like the system and everything was regimented. And yeah, they don't do paperwork. Who, who doesn't do paperwork? Like, that's all Twin does is paperwork. But, right. I would have so much free time on my hands if I didn't do paperwork. Can you imagine? Yeah. But they also don't send rehearsal reports. So, um. So how does anyone know what's going on? <laughs> so that would be a lot more stressful. Yeah, there's there's some people that um just have really memorable quotes. Um and Cricket has one that she said Cricket has was like a, five. Cricket has five, but this one was like <laughs> Cricket's career advice that uh she got when she was was she just starting out in school. Not in school, I guess in her career. <laughs> uh I had someone tell me early in my career that to be successful you have to have the three T's. Um talent, tenacity, and timing. Um, and it's like the talent is something you can you can study and learn, although there's got to be something there. Uh, like I can't walk out and write an opera right now, no matter how hard I work. I don't have that talent. <laughs> um, but tenacity, you've got to work hard. Like you've got to work your butt off. But the other thing is timing. Sometimes you just have to be in the right place at the right time. And I can tell you exactly the the moment that I was in the right place in the right time that changed my career. Um, and that timing is something you can't prepare for and you can't, you know, you just plan on it. Yeah. You just have to be open to all the experiences and hope that you're there when it's meant to happen. So. What I liked about this is it was so close to what Ginevra had said, you know, that, that, you just can't plan for some of these things. Just like you have no idea who that one important person or two important people are going to be that it just happens. And I think hers, this was relating to the experience of where she just like happened to be in a theater at the right time and then met some director who like she happened to talk to and then, you know, happened to get a job from and then ended up, you know, getting a show on Broadway. And this is just not something that like you necessarily plan on yeah oh maybe that could be my david levy connection because uh when i was at tco we were going to opera america and i was asked to be on a panel i could picture it but i can't remember what the panel was about (laughs) um (laughs) and david levy was one of the other people on the panel which i have to say was like super intimidating because here i am like pretty young and and at a level four company being asked to be on a panel with like david levy who's the vice what's his title like vice president vice something vice president of production he's that's like a top title it might be that um or operations and production um at opera philadelphia and i was like you want me to like sit next to these people and actually have conversations where i sound smart in front of these people um (laughs) but i met david levy that way and (laughs) and then got a job later and now i've spent years with them and it's super awesome but but again it was i was just like there at the right time you know and uh got to meet cool people yeah i say that's another thing you never know who you're going to meet or when you're going to meet them 
and who everybody knows everybody. Uh, so I guess one of the other like career advice things, and I don't know if we have anyone who's necessarily said it, but um, be nice to people. Be nice to everyone. You don't know who knows who and who's talking to who, and you don't want to be the jerk that everyone's like, oh, don't work with them. Like we were saying, we've brought up a couple times, like it's a family thing. Everybody's going through the same thing. Everybody's there because they want to be there. You never know when your name's going to pop back up with someone or get recommended to someone. Or, I mean, if, if Cindy sees anybody on a resume that has California experience in any company I've worked with, she immediately sends it to me to see if I know them. Uh, and I yep. do the same thing. If they worked at Long Beach Opera, they get sent to Darlene immediately. If they have Long Beach Playhouse listed on there, they get sent to Sean to just be like, hey, what do you think? Because I can read the words on their page, but like, how were they to work with? So be good to work with. <laughs> Very useful advice. Be good Very to work useful. with. Yeah. <laughs> Quotable, actually. <laughs> Get a dog. That's the next advice. No. Make sure the world opens up so we can get a job again. Yeah, that'd be good. <laughs> uh, you said that there's... Well, you said that it's something that we've talked about. It That wasn't really a quote. Something that I want to bring up that is, uh, I don't know. So many things are happening that that I feel the theater world has kind of been talking about for a while, but hasn't really been in like non-theater people's worlds as much. But the fact that the inequality of women, uh, female and male in the theater world, but also just like um, BIPOC representatives which I have to say, we we looked at the breakdown and it's it's predominantly white. And, you know, that raises a question of like the people we know and why we know them and, you know, why there's not as many other people. But there's there's a few in there. It's not all white. But the uh, male, female, we've talked about a lot because unknowingly, I guess, we've had, would you say, Stacey, like an equal we number? Exactly the same number of males and females on the podcast. Which is awesome because I always feel like we've had, I mean, I actually told Stacey, I was like, I'm pretty sure we've had more females than males. And then she calculated it. She was like, nope, exactly the same. Yeah, 48. I mean, not including us, but like exactly 48 males versus 48 females. I know that number doesn't equal 100, but sometimes we have group people, uh, sometimes podcasts. <laughs> I know math. Uh, but yeah, I thought that was interesting that that number was exactly equal. Like we didn't even plan that. We, we don't even really pay attention to that. We try to actually just not have a bunch of the same people on, uh, which is failing because we've had way more stage managers than anybody else. So uh, I think twins. I like stage managers. This way. Yeah, it's true. But I think we do make a conscious effort to have to bring women on. Yeah, because we want to hear about their experience. And because Stacey and I both have to deal with this. Mm, I was going to say Stacey, maybe more than me, but. Um, there have been times because I do work with crew as well, you know, to see what other people's experiences are being a female in a predominantly male world, which again, uh, stage management is predominantly female in the levels of theater that I work in, at, you know, Broadway, it's almost always, or predominantly male, I can't say almost always, and that's changing. But it's something that we talk to almost every person about because in the design world and directing, 
we haven't talked to any female producers, have we? Except for Kim Wood a little bit. But in in design world and and tech theater world, I think it's it's predominantly male. And I know Kara talked about it. I know um, Christy talked about it a lot because she's uh, union and from the Midwest. Yes. Yeah, but Christy's experience was so cool because yeah. she is an IOTC member and has been an IOTC member for years and her IOTC local was very evenly split. You know, she was saying that there's a lot of, of men and a lot of women and she didn't realize that that wasn't common until she, I think she said she did a tour and she went to another local and she was like the only female there. And she was like, wait, why is this happening? Which yeah. I think you and I kind of had the same experience. Like we were both, you know, both of our colleges were very open and very like accepting of the fact that we were female. And so it wasn't necessarily well, a thing. Growing up, our dad was like, well, we're digging holes in the backyard and laying concrete today. Right. This is how you design furniture. This is how we're... That's it. We're going. And now we're going to go inside and cook. Like, we just... You, me, and our brother just learned it. Because yeah. there was no segregation. Like, you had to go cook and he's going to go outside and work in the yard. Because that wouldn't have worked. I was like, because he's a much better cook than I am. But <laughs> but the the one that always sticks out in my mind was... um was as Vita who yeah. is an exceptional scenic designer and she does costumes designer. and but but mostly scenic like that's what she is known for when she does full productions um as like a production design yeah and and her and David Adam Moore you know have their own company Glamour but this story that she told well first first there's a quote that I actually do want you to hear because it was just um it's so relevant. Like Stacey and I both were like, yes, this is 100% true. I just got used to the fact that nine and a half times out of 10, when I come to a meeting with the technical staff, production staff in regards to scenery that I design, I'm going to be the only woman in the room. Yep. It, nine, nine times out of 10, I would say I'm the only woman in the room. So everyone from the production managers to general directors to uh, TDs, um, assistant TDs, um, they're all guys. And I would be the only woman in the room. Um, and I, I just got used to the fact that the first third to half of the meeting will be spent on me actually convincing them that I know what I'm doing. So this this is just the thing that like, sucks that we have to do that we have to like prove ourselves and then it makes me think of those who are even more quote unquote different than white female you know is our friends who are you know female and of color or of indigenous background or you know or are not, not necessarily female or male and all the in-between things which yeah and so if it takes but if it takes us just being female um what nine nine and a half times out of ten to or to be the only ones in the room but to spend the first third of any meeting trying to like prove that we know what we're doing even if it's on a subconscious level like we're still trying to prove how many times have I had a conversation about like um thinking about what I'm going to wear to tech for the first day or the first rehearsal you know like this things that like nobody else ever thinks about well not nobody else but like men don't think about every time I ask them like it's not something that comes up um yeah, I've, I've thought about how low cut is my shirt how tight is right. my shirt 
right? Or what color is it? Or how am I doing my hair? Like, who cares? But the other thing that Vita was talking about, besides just dealing with that aspect, is that people assume that because she's a female that she's the costume designer and not the scenic designer because it's just in people's heads that you're that that's what it is which is interesting because she's one of the few scenic designers that I've met that's female but I have met a number of male costume designers but the story she told which happened to her twice in like the same year at two different companies for those who haven't listened to her podcast uh which was 2018 in July but where she was doing a show and it was during tech and you know all the designers are sitting there at the tech table and I think it was like the artistic director or the general director or somebody like came up to her and gave her a costume note and she was like that's very nice or that's inappropriate which one of the cases was and said but if you would like to talk to the costume designer it's that gentleman over there and thankfully in both cases the um, person who was speaking to her was very embarrassed but just that like innate not innate because I think it's been taught but just that that assumption that everybody has that you know because she's a female she has to be the costume designer and so I'm grateful for the experience that I've had and that I haven't had to deal with that too much but uh, I know many people have and I honestly think I don't know if you feel the same way Stace but um, being as tall as we are I think has a big advantage to it yeah like, yeah. Is another one I want to get on the podcast. Uh, went to college with her and now work her with her at uh, 1540, but she is shorter. And I was talking to her about it the other day because we were building shelf units and the top shelf unit wasn't my eye level, but of course was above her head level and she was trying to hammer. And I'm like, how, how is it being shorter? And she's like, I don't ever think about it because in my family I'm tall. And I'm like, yeah, that was a dumb question. Sorry, in my family, we're all the same height, too. So I don't think that I'm tall, whereas other people say I'm tall. But it's just things like that. Like, I just assume it's harder for her to do some things because she's short. And she's like, no, it's just the way it always has been. And I was like, God, that was dumb. It's like when people ask us, how is it being a twin? I don't know. How is it not being a twin? Like, how would I know that? But I'm wondering if they if it's harder for them to, like... Well, I guess as a stage manager and as a TD, but like I need that respect from the room right away so that people will listen to me. And I wonder if it's more difficult for people who aren't tall because there is that thing of like the tallest person in the room. room. Yeah, kind of gets the most most respect. And uh, a professor in grad school that I did not get along with, my advisor actually, uh, told a story that because she was also very tall and she said every time she felt intimidated in the theater or that like, a crew person wasn't listening to her then the next day she would wear heels usually like boots or something you know but something that like had a heel so then that person physically had to look up to her and that made a difference and I feel like being female for us was a little bit easier because people either had to look at us eye to eye or did have to look up to us and so you know it's a little bit more difficult to intimidate somebody and if you're looking at their eye level and not you know like down on them I know. It's something that I'm going to want to... Can you ask Irma about this? (laughs) Yeah. Because, I mean, she was also asking me, and this is away from theater, but just, you know, we've been doing inventory for three months, so uh, there's only so much to talk about when you're inventorying props for three months. And she was asking about racism because she is from... She's American, but she's second generation, uh, and her parents came from El Salvador. So she's like, 
why is it on my Facebook the only people who are having issues with wearing a mask or having issues with Black Lives Matter are the white people. And I was like, yep, nope, that's very valid statement. She's like, most of my friends like are all good with it, but like their friends are arguing with them on like, you know, their um, posts and stuff about it. And I was like, yeah, I never thought of it that way, but yeah. I don't know. <laughs> what well, I think theater people are just more understanding. I said that too. I said, I don't, we have a couple family members who do not believe the same way we believe, uh, but it hasn't really gotten into arguments. We usually just avoid the topic, but most of our people and friends and people who we connect to on Facebook and Instagram and all that are theater people who are okay with whatever gender you want to be, whatever religion you want to be, whatever skin color you happen to be born with like i feel like we are more understanding but we still have a ways to go well yeah that's true it's not that we're gonna stop which actually reminds me of um a quote that t had uh in february of 2019 as well um but he was telling us about his experience in germany when he when he had the internship over there and he said um I think it was talking about the the division between East and West. And obviously he was there after the wall came down and there were some crew members who were from, from the East side and some from the West side and um, of, of Germany before the, or Berlin before the wall came down. And this one guy that he was talking to um, who was on the East side, I believe when the wall was up uh, said that the only place that he ever felt safe as a as an individual was inside the theater um it it was the only place like he felt like he can be himself and be safe and not feel threatened which was happening in the rest of uh, the east side of berlin the theater was a place that they felt safe and and i had one person told me that when he worked at the Schiller Theater, there was just that was the only building that he felt he could be himself. And I feel that theater is still that to this day. Like, I can't, I mean, I can't say like I went there because it's safe, but it's definitely somewhere that I feel the most comfortable with those people. And I think that's exactly how so many of us feel, which is why we stay there. But similar, you know. I don't know if it's because we all have the same beliefs or if we have a lot of the same beliefs because we feel safe and feel like we can have those discussions with these people and then like, you know, be able to talk it out. Cause I feel like it's easier to have these difficult conversations with other theater people because they're just a little bit more open-minded or they're easy. It's easier for them to like dig into their emotions and change their minds. Than other people. I don't know. Yeah, exactly. Like, I never thought about it until Irma asked that question. And if we were outside of theater and didn't know each other and work together, like, would you go up to a white person and be like, hey, why are white people all racist? But she (laughs) wasn't going to be offended by it. And I was like, that's a good point. Most of the people I know are that. I mean, not they're white, so they're racist. But like the people starting a lot of the arguments on Facebook and stuff do happen to be that. And so it it was just really eye-opening to me that she felt comfortable enough to talk to me about it. And then I was, like, very eye-opening and comfortable enough to be like, 
I have huh. no idea. <laughs> right. That's good. But then also, we've talked about race on, uh, you know, Southern California. We just assume anyone who is brown or skin is Mexican. And I fall into this category. And Irma's always like, I'm not Mexican. I'm from El Salvador. And I'm like, seriously, I don't know the difference. I'm really sorry. But yeah. <laughs> what were we talking about before this podcast? Lack of education. Yeah, exactly. But like, <laughs> just... I just don't have experience. And so she was explaining like some of the different food and the difference in the cultures and the difference even in the language. But I'm like, I don't just didn't know, never came across it, never talked to anybody about it, never took classes in it. So it was it's eye opening to just continue learning and doing things like that and being accepting. And now I'm like trying to not just call everybody Mexican because they're not all just Mexican. We do have a lot of Mexicans, but they're not all just Mexican. Uh, so yeah, just trying to keep an open mind and be willing to talk about it and learn things and not just assume what you know is right, because that's never always the case. (laughs) That's funny that it just kind of just brings it back full circle to the beginning when we were talking about, why did we start this podcast? We started this podcast so that we can learn and continue to educate, but I feel like we learn just as much as like anybody else who listens to this podcast. So many of the episodes that we've done is just like, huh, I didn't know that. I didn't know that was part of your job. I didn't know that's something that you ever had to think about. Like, it wasn't, I thought I knew all these things because I worked backstage, but I obviously had no idea what was going on in anybody else's department. Yeah, exactly. Or very little idea of what was going on. Yeah, costumes exist, but I don't know what they do all day long. They sew, right? (laughs) But the history that they learn by doing that or, you know, what kind of fabric was used or what kind of stitch was used and what kind of buttons was used. And I'm like, no idea. (laughs) Yeah, it's so cool to just keep learning about all these things. Okay, I'm going to bring up another quote because it is entertaining. Well, it's Bridget, and it's not as entertaining as the goat story that Bridget told us, um, where she just has to be a goat. But the the <laughs> it's a quote about what makes what makes human humans. Maybe she uh, we talked about animals a lot, you know. But she's saying, you know, like what's the difference between humans and animals? Because we we all know that we have feelings. We all know, you know, these things that people used to assume animals didn't have. So, what is it that makes humans? different essential humans i don't know this is her quote (laughs) my whole my belief is that uh story is what makes us human like animals we know that animals use tools now we know that animals feel emotions like all that all those things that used to be the thing that made us human aren't aren't it but the 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 fact that we connect with each other through story Mm -hmm. story is what allows us to empathize with one another um and theater is story you know theater is is the shaman at the campfire it's the you know it's the the wagon coming into the town square and it's so knowing that our stories are doing their jobs on our audience is is the thing that makes the biggest difference to me and makes me go yes I'm doing the right thing I feel like it's it's close to what we're talking about but also just uh awesome because it's all stories and that's what we do on the podcast is like everybody gets to tell their story and within their story then we find like the connections to everybody else's story and that's pretty much exactly what op what opera what theater is 
opera just rolls off my tongue these days. Um, but it is what opera was and it is what, what theater was. And it's how like everything got started. And what we still do to this day is we like tell stories, but even like within the theater, we tell stories to each other, you know, like 100 episodes and we're still just like telling stories because <laughs> it's what we do. It's a safe place to tell those stories. You know, it's, it's this magical place for us to tell stories. It's, you know. Yeah. And feel safe and not like, oh, I can't bring that up because it has to do with race or color. It's like, no, learn, let's talk about it. Let's learn about it. Let's see what the other people think. Or anything else. Yeah. Yeah. Because Twin and I don't know everything. I mean, Twin sometimes knows everything. But uh... I do a lot of research. <laughs> she reads a lot of books. so I do read a lot of books <laughs> because of lack of education. Which is funny because, like, you and I had a great education. Like, we had a really good school district. So I sometimes feel bad about other people when I realize what they don't know. And I was like, man, I thought I didn't know a lot. But... <laughs> but we also still don't know a lot. I mean, not everyone True. was trained in physics, but... Uh, right. <laughs> they probably or had that the education in something else. Or knows that the King of Prussia um, wrote opera. Yeah, see, I didn't know that, and you didn't invite me to that seminar, so... I know. I'll, I'll give you your own private seminar. Okay, excellent. Okay, Twin, do you have any twin stories? I know I didn't prep you with this in the beginning, but... Um... I do, actually. I just emailed some twins that Christy gave us information for ah. to see if they will be on the podcast, which would be our second pair of twins no, on the podcast. Pair, right, or fifth pair. I forget what we came up with in the beginning, what pair we are. Oh, right. We are. Okay, so um, another pair of twins. These <laughs> ones would be male twins, which we haven't had on the podcast yet. So we'll see if they respond to us. But there's my twin story. Excellent, excellent. I don't really have a twin story. Son. Ooh, I gotta I have to go soon because I haven't I have a Tetra Novel meeting in twenty minutes. Yeah, well we did hit an hour, so you know I think we hit an hour just talking about ourselves talking about things. True. We are running out of time, but we do have one last thing to talk about. One last not last, but a uh, a dedication that I think if Stacy's up for it can do. Yeah. It's her person. So when we started the podcast, uh, one of the first people I talked to about it was a wonderful guy and the producer of mine at the time at the Norris, Chris Gilbert, and very, very amazing man. First met him years ago as an actor, um, always supportive, always knew the crew's names, always said thank you to everybody. A couple years later, he moved up as producer. He started working full time at the Norris, and I spent a lot of time with him planning, scheduling, um, running shows and all that. And he, we lost him this year, earlier this year, to cancer. He passed away on February 2nd. It was his second battle with cancer. He won the first one, but his body was never quite the same. And when it came back, he spent a long time. And even even in the end, while in the hospital and hooked up to machines and all of that, he was still asking people what shows they were doing and still cracking jokes and still singing musicals and all that. So we want to dedicate this podcast to Chris Gilbert, who was our very second podcast ever and who we all are very deeply missing and who would be a ray of sunlight right now in this this hard time. But I'm sure he's looking down on all of us and and hoping theater comes back so he can sing more songs. 
Yeah. Thank you, Chris. We're going to miss you. And to his wife, Kim, who still see on Facebook and still doing theater and still, still being amazing. Wish you all the happiness and glad you got to spend as much time with Chris as you did. Yay for sad podcasts, yes. but happy podcast. Chris yeah. was, even though he was number two, he was the first person that we ever talked to because he was the first one after our intro podcast. And we're like, so. hey, I was like, hey, I'm doing this podcast. He's like, great, let's be on it. So I set it up and like, he was so nervous about it. It was so cute, but obviously he did amazing. And so go back and listen to Chris's podcast, hear how amazing he is. And uh, yeah, continue listening to podcasts, continue doing theater, continue wearing masks so we can go do theater. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be nice if we could do theater again. That'd be excellent. Yay. Never did we think we'd make it to a 100 podcast. Never did we think that we would uh, be in a lockdown. So, yay. <laughs> excellent. Happy 100. Okay. Bye, everyone. Thank you for listening. <laughs>